In just a bit, Les Solala is going to come and teach. He's going to be teaching from Philippians 4. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians 4. And the guys are also distributing an outline that Les is going to be going through from Philippians 4.13. Just before Les comes again, I need to very quickly bounce through a few announcements. One is that in your program, it is listed that tomorrow would kick off the next ladies' book study. That's not happening tomorrow. Tracy Carrico, who leads that, has an issue, a health issue to deal with with her mother, and that's going to preclude her from starting that tomorrow. Those meetings are going to be every two weeks, and so instead of tomorrow, it'll be two weeks from tomorrow on October the the 26th. Two more items I need to call to your attention. One is that this coming Saturday is our annual hayride and bonfire. And for the hayride and bonfire, we always have food, and we have a number of categories of food that we ask for for that. We have donuts and cider and sloppy joes, and for the sloppy joes, we need crock pots of sloppy joe stuff and uh, hamburger buns. So we've got that all broken down into the categories on a sheet, and we're going to pass around those sheets again. We passed around some last week. We've recorded the names of those who volunteered. So you're going to see blank sheets today, new ones, Don't think that no one volunteered last week. These are new sheets. But we still need some more people in some of those categories. So the sheets are going to go around. And Jim, Jim, can you tell me, do we have one or two or? So this side and that side. Okay. And who's got it over here? You got them both? All right. So Jim's going to start them from the back on both sides. It's going to come around to you. If you're on the end, pass it in front of you, and it'll wind up on this front row for this side and on uh, one of these two front rows for, for this side, okay? So if you're on the end, don't look around. Don't look behind you. We're starting from the back, so bring it forward, and uh, it'll it'll make its way to, to the front. And then the final announcement is one week from today, our community groups, our Sunday night home groups, start up anew. We are in the process of reshuffling those. We've gotten all the enrollment cards that you all have turned in. Uh, we are expanding the number of groups that uh, we have, and you will find out this week which group uh, you are in. We've tried to take into account everything that you told us about your allergies and all of that and which kinds of homes you can be in. So it's a really tough process to get all of those factors taken into consideration and get all of the uh, all of the, the groups set. But it always ends up working, and I'm sure it will this time as well. So please be patient with that. Look for your email this week telling you what group uh, you're in. Less now you can come and speak to us from Philippians 4. Okay, let's uh, turn to Philippians chapter 4. You know, when Saul of Tarsus was in a mindset to destroy the church, he was probably in line. He had all of the pedigree to be the next high priest. When you read Philippians chapter 3, it's an identification of all that he had, all that he had built up. And when it came to the founding of the church and the gospel of grace was being preached, Paul could not handle that. At that time, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he set out to persecute the church. Uh, He was in charge of the stoning of Stephen. Uh, They laid the garments at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. 
And then in a rage after that, he went with papers from the Pharisees there in Jerusalem to go to the north towards Antioch in that direction and heading for Damascus. And his life was intersected by Jesus Christ. And the voice came and said, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Two key questions were asked. Who are you, Lord? That's the identifying the person of Christ. What do you want me to do? Identifying the purpose that Christ had for him. Uh, Two key life questions. Who is the Lord and what does he want me to do? Uh, Paul got his marching orders. As I mentioned in the morning message, he was arrested and assigned the Gentile world. He was taken aside for three years in the backside of the desert and then probably another ten years possibly out of circulation in, out of serving circulation. And then he goes on the mission journeys, comes back, reports to the church in Jerusalem the first journey, and then they set out to go on the second journey. Uh, He and Barnabas had a difference in opinion about taking John Mark with them, and I think had they prayed like they did before the first journey, this issue would have never come up. Because sometimes conflicts arise where there is lack of prayer. What does God really want for us? Uh, they just got together and said, we're going out again. And and uh, Barnabas said, we're taking John Mark. Paul said, no, we're not taking John Mark. An issue over this person, John Mark. I think uh, had they prayed, I think God would have revealed to them clearly that it wasn't God's will for Barnabas to go on that journey. Paul was a born Roman citizen. He picked up Timothy, a born Roman citizen, Titus a born Roman citizen, Dr. Luke, a born Roman citizen. They were going into Roman territory. And how many times did Paul claim his Roman citizenship to be freed from from prison and from his uh, jail time? So then Paul is pushing on the second journey, pushes up toward the Black Sea region. The Spirit of God directed him to Troas, and at Troas he received the Macedonian vision. And uh, come over and help us. So Paul goes over and lands in the Roman colony of Philippi. Obviously not enough men to have a synagogue. You had to have ten Jewish men to have a synagogue. And so he met with women who were God-fearers. A God-fearer is a Gentile who believed in the God of the Jew but could not worship in the synagogue. They had to worship in the court of Gentiles. And met these women in prayer down by the river. And Lydia came to full knowledge of salvation. Lydia's home became a base of operation for the mission work. Had had Paul gone to the area in the north, the, the Russians would have been bringing the gospel to our shores. But instead, in from the home of Lydia, there in Philippi, that Roman colony... The gospel spread throughout Europe, eventually came to our shores. And that Philippian church became a very supportive church. The church in in, uh, Jerusalem never gave a dime to Paul's work. In fact, he was collecting money as he traveled to take back to Jerusalem for the poor saints in Jerusalem. 
There's no record that the church in Antioch, the sending church, ever supported Paul financially. He never asked, purposely did not ask the Corinthian church for money because his motives would be questioned. How quickly can motives be questioned when there is not a trust factor? And so the Philippian church was a supporting church uh, to Paul. And he is writing a letter of gratitude. He sends Epaphroditus, who he had met in Rome when he was in prison in Rome. And Epaphroditus served almost until the death to take care of Paul there while he was in prison. And Paul sends Epaphroditus with this letter of thanks and rejoicing to the Philippian church. And so we pick up the story here uh, after... Paul deals with Yodius and Syntyche. I think they argued about the color of the carpet there in, in, in church in Philippi. Just says a real brief word to them there. And then that uh, in look in verse 10. And I rejoice greatly, Philippians 4.10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So that is my text, Philippians 4.13. Where is our confidence? Paul is going with a letter of gratitude. Thank you. Your care of me is flourishing again. They obviously hit a snag where they could not send the mission support that they were at one time. But somehow or another, it picked up again. Paul said, you know, what I'm grateful for is what you are putting into your account in heaven. Uh, Paul says, I... I know how to have nothing. I know to have a lot. I think Paul came from a very wealthy background. The very fact that his nephew was in the palace and heard the plan to kill Paul, I think indicates that his sister probably married in uh, into some royal blood. And I think Paul had that royal blood in his background. But now he put all of that aside. And now he is saying, I've learned contentment. You know, contentment is a learned behavior. We are not born content. When we are born, we come out kicking and screaming. And some never stop. But Paul said this, I can do all things through Christ. And I want to take this verse apart. First phrase, I can do. That's the fact of our confidence. And and uh, we will go through this on your sheet and you can follow uh, there on the on the screen, the fact of my confidence, I can do. Now Paul was not boasting that he had the wherewithal to pull himself up by his own bootstraps and I can do whatever I want. But as we unfold this, you will begin to see what Paul was really saying here. When God called Moses, Moses said, "I can't," and God says, "I am." And when Moses came to realize that it was by God's enabling that this was going to happen. But you say, well, Les, uh, I could see, yes, God can use 
Pastor Brown, God can use the leadership team, the sharp men who run the leadership team, the sharp ones who ran that men's conference yesterday, and God can use these people. And yes, God can use Dr. Combs who taught in seminary. And No, that isn't what is being said. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God gives encouragement to the average person. And it, it didn't say not any wise and not any great, but not many. And so we see an unfolding here. Who can God use? The foolish things to confound the wise. Those of us who believe that that uh, the Bible is God's absolute truth and we hang on to that truth, uh, we are considered fools. But... 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 26 and following, uh, Paul is pointing out that God has chosen foolish things, those who are perceived as foolish, to confound those who appear to be wise. And the longer we go on in this generation, the longer we go on in this age, the more those of us who hang on to God's absolute truth as God's absolute inspired word, we are going to be considered to be foolish. Then the weak things to confound the strong. The weak things of the world to confound the strong. You say, well, I, I, I don't have much. I don't have much ability. I, I, I am not a strong person. I remember when Dr. McLaughlin came into my office one day with a letter from the director of a mission board. And, uh, and he said, Dr. Mack, I'm afraid that we are going to produce a bunch of wimps in fundamentalism, and emphasizing that servant leadership mentality that you guys emphasize there. And, and I read the letter and I saw they had interviewed one of our graduates. He was an older guy. He came, was very humble, very meek appearing, uh, very grateful that the Lord had saved him as an older person, came with his wife and children. Uh, they lived in one of the white dorm rooms. Uh, for a period of time. But on the surface, he appeared to be a very weak person. Uh, would not, you would not jump at him. And boy, there's a guy you can take and, and he'll take the ball and run with it. And, uh, when I saw the name on that, because he had gone, he, he had felt burdened to go to South America to plant churches and to work in ministry in South America. And, uh, when I read the name that they were concerned about after their interview with him, I said, Dr. Mack, write the man back and tell him not to worry about that wimp. I said, you know what that wimp did? That wimp came to me and said, Les, or Doc O, he said, would you pray with me? I believe God wants us in South America. Would you pray with me? So I agreed to meet him at 5.30 in the morning to pray. We went in one of our classrooms. And you know what that wimp was doing? Weeping as he prayed that God would do the enabling to open the doors to get him to South America with his family. And I said, you know what? That wimp learned where power is. I told Dr. Mack, write the guy back, tell him that wimp is going to be okay. And Charlene and I just, what was in the last year, wasn't that, honey, that the wimp, we remember we ate... <laughs> 
In fact, we ate lunch with the wimp and his wife up in Iron Mountain. They were passing through. And you know what that wimp did? He called me. He said, could we go out for lunch? And, and now after years in South America, fruitful ministry, highs and lows, but fruitful ministry, still plowing in South America. And the old wimpy wimp is still wimping it out uh, in South America. You know, God, isn't it amazing how God chooses sometimes? And I told Dr. Mack, you give me a wimp who gets on his knees than a strutter who doesn't. Somebody comes in, I, uh, hey, when I speak, I've got to have an hour. I've had spe- chap- chapel speakers come when I was at Northland. I almost say, sit down, Harold. I don't think we need you to preach. I didn't. I call everybody Harold because I can't remember names. And that's <laughs> all. So, I mean, I, I, a face, I hardly ever forget a face, but names, hmm. So somebody suggested, uh, so I took that Sam Carnegie course, and that helped. Uh, not Sam, uh, Dale, Dale Carnegie. Well, I'll never forget old Sam. Boy, he helped me remember names. Old Sam, I'll never forget him. (laughs) Then the base things to confound the classy. You know, amazing that God could take someone from here and you would perceive yourself as being very weak and, and maybe very base and not classy at all. That God would have you to touch who he wants you to touch. To give the gospel and to nurture and build. And the despised things. To confound the noble. You know, when Paul came along and he was speaking at Mars Hill. And he could have, with his logic and with his background and with his education. In debate, he probably could have twisted every one of those so-called intellectuals into a knot. But when he left Mars Hill, he said, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that Mars Hill, they called him a seed picker. Oh, what does this seed picker have to say? Like a bird that's picking up crumbs. And uh, and yet he had, that seed picker had enough sense to discern how can I get the gospel to them without being killed because you could not introduce in that anger, you could not introduce in that setting a new God. But Paul said, you have an altar to an unknown God. I want to declare to you who that unknown God is. Preach to them Christ and, and some were saved. And the nothings, those who are completely overlooked, completely overlooked. Existentialism teaches existence is being. And yet, if you're considered to not even exist, that's really something. I think some of you probably know uh, Dr. Don Forrester. Uh, any of you know Dr. Don Forrester? He's been in a, uh, a education for years, a blind pastor, and uh, he had two. He has two earned doctorates, and his wife has read every single book to him in all of his undergraduate, in all of his two doctoral programs after he get his master's work done. And Dr. Forrester felt God called him to church planting. And Dr. Forrester had me come, and he's been a leader in Christian education for many years. And 
I ran into him in, in conferences, and he felt God wanted him to plant a church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And after about a year, they got a place, and and uh, about a year they were running, I think, about 30 or 40 people. And so the sending group of pastors got Dr. Forrester aside and said, You know, brother, uh, we don't believe God has called you to church planting. And to help you get out of it, we're going to withdraw our support to you, this, this sending group. And Dr. Forrester, if you know him, you know how humble he is. He said, uh, you know, he said, you know, God called us to do this and, and not man. And we're with or without support. We're going to keep doing what God called us to do. Not in boasting, not in arrogance, not in in your face. When I went there, I saw, I mean, this ministry is so impacting up and down the East Coast. They've got a Bible college at night that is broadcast in the classrooms up and down the East Coast. They have a beautiful facility, one of the best Christian schools I had preached in in many, many years. And I would talk, and he would be up there with his Braille machine, and I, I, I talked to people in the church that we love Dr. Forrester. He feeds us the word. And when you see that, when I was leaving there, the heavy equipment is coming in to dig the footings and the foundation for another huge building program that they were starting. And old Dr. Forrester was perceived as even a nothing by people who were called of God to serve God. And I said, Dr. Forrester, you've got to come to Heart Conference to encourage the hearts of pastors. So his assistant came with him. They always had to lead him along. And I said, give your testimony. These men who come to Heart Conference and our students need to hear this. And you look at that ministry in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and you will see that ministry still in great prosperity. I thought, praise the Lord, God choose to be honored in that way. The fact I can do, that means you can. Secondly, the fullness of our confidence. I can do all things through Christ. And I'm not going to park here, except I want you to ask yourself, what is the all thing that you have to do? What all thing has God given you? What has he placed in your life as an all thing? And that is in spite of paradoxes. And I'm just going to give you the reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. All of the paradoxes of the Christian life. And in spite of all the pressures. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Where Paul goes through all of the things. And then after all of the things he went through. The beatings and the shipwrecks. And then he says, on top of that, the care of all the churches. Paul says, all things that I can do through Christ. I remember reading Daily Bread. And uh, there was a story in Daily Bread that really has stood out in my mind. And uh, there was a lady who was paralyzed in, a, in an accident, unsaved, turned bitter, and in her bitterness, uh, a lady came to her, gave her the gospel, and she accepted Christ, became filled with joy with this new life. And she thought, how can I get, I'm paralyzed, I'm at home in a wheelchair, how can I get this gospel to our city? 
So she said, I know what I'll do. I'll buy an ad in the newspaper. So this paralyzed woman, formerly very bitter, now filled with joy, gets an ad in the newspaper. said, woman at home in a wheelchair, formerly bitter. I have found joy. If you want to talk to me, call this number. And as of the writing of that article, she was getting over 30 phone calls a week. When that printing went into Daily Bread, with the phone right here, giving the gospel to people in the community. That was an all thing for her. And I'm reading that, I'm thinking, you know, two good hands, one good leg. Well, I have two, but I have a steel hip. When I go through the airport, I tell them it's my abs of steel. And... uh <laughs> Because I beep every time. I say, you don't believe me, do you? I said, dig in there. You can find them. <laughs> but you ask, what what can I do? Remember, we were with Dr. John Whitcomb a while back, and we were having supper together. He's 90 years old now, still going strong. And he said, I can't wait to get to heaven and tell Paul how hard I had it. I thought, what did that put things in perspective? <laughs> Fullness. What is the all thing for you? Reaching a neighbor? What is the all thing for you? Letting the Spirit of God do the work of God in you that you might be usable for the glory of God. Number three, through Christ, the focus of our confidence. I can do, that's a fact, all things, that's a fullness. In Christ, that's a focus of our confidence. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, after God gives a listing of who can be usable, then he focuses on Christ, for he is our wisdom, he is our righteousness, he is our sanctification, he is our redemption. Paul was not saying, hey, I'll just take up my flesh and I'll guarantee you, that I can get this job done. No, he was acknowledging the fact that nothing could be done apart from Christ. And uh, sometimes you get to a point where you just hit the wall. We hired a staff member several years ago and he could see the pace and the load that was being carried and, and in, this, in this training time. And and you know, when you're, you're in, in leadership, I used to tell our students, people business is dirty business. Get used to it. I said, there were times when I wished that I could have been called to the uninhabited fields of the world. Have a large college and no students. Pastor a big church with no members. And uh, boy, would that be fun. The problem is, but you have to take you with you where you go. If I went if I could leave me where I was when I and, and I could go without me where I'm going, I'd be okay when I got where I was going. But I have to take me with me. You see how deep my thinking is there? <laughs> In other words, the Greek says, I is the problem. Uh, and so, but uh, he, a guy came to me and and, and we get letters. You get phone calls. What do you believe about this? And I got a letter from a guy a pastor wanted to know my position on Santa Claus. For some reason, that didn't hit me rightly that day. So I dictated a letter to my secretary. He is an overweight man who has been very good to me through the years. 
And I said, don't send that. That's flesh. That's my flesh. <laughs> so I got into Revelation. The whole whole was the voice of many waters and and uh, the buckle. So I got, no, I didn't do that either. <laughs> you thought, boy, you are a nut. But you have to deal with these kind of things as, as things come along. And, and, uh, and so... Uh, this new staffer asked me, Les, how do you stay encouraged? And I said, I- I've tried to have three blinders through the years. Number one blinder, keep your passion for Christ growing. Keep your passion for Christ growing. Build your mind with the word. Build that time in intimacy. Build that time in prayer. Keep your passion for him growing. Because Paul's focus was Christ. And Paul had three years Brought up into the third heaven. Shown things he could not even discuss as he was back here. Keep our passion for Christ. How do you do that? You get in the word. You get in time of meditation and prayer. You, you hunger and thirst. And then secondly, keep your eye on your mission. What are you there for? Why are we here? We are here to make him look big. We are here to glorify him. We are here to give others a right opinion of what our God is like. And we have an assignment. We have a mission to fulfill. And that mission is often hindered by broken relationships. That's what I covered with pastors on the Friday time, that Satan never attacks the mission statement of a ministry. He'll always attack the relationships in that. When our boys played hockey... I was driving one of our boys up to a game, and he said, Dad, what do you do when you're in front? And, and those of you who have played hockey you know how aggravating you can get some time uh, when you're being slashed from behind, and you have a tendency to come up, and especially in the crowd in front of the net, you come up with your stick like this, and you end up in a sin bin. Be- <laughs> and so what happens? Now it's five on four. And uh, how many, I watched the Red Wings the other night. I mean, I think four, five times they ended up, uh, I'm not sure if they were all just penalties or not, but it was five on four. But you end up, you lose focus. If you concentrate on who's hacking at you, and, and you lose focus. So I said, how do you win games? He said, well, teamwork. I said, no, we're going to talk about the pious things later. How does the score get 1-0? Well, the puck has to go in the net. I said, that's it. Put the puck in the net and let the heathen rage. I said, but if you get turned aside by who's poking at you, you're going to do this. And next thing you know, the puck isn't going in the net. And that's how you win. And I said, you've got to keep your eye on your mission. If somebody thinks you're brain dead, keep on shooting. I've been thinking of getting pucks made up. And just put put the puck in the net, let the heathen rage. And give it to leaders. I mean, that, that, boy, wouldn't that be a calling card? And if I printed it like I with the stick men on it, and, uh, boy, that's less all the way. Keep your eye on your mission. And then thirdly, keep your relationships right as much as is humanly possible. You know, uh, Paul says, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. And as much as is humanly possible, if there is a division, 
Let not that division be because I have not made an attempt at restitution. And so all the time through life, you're always making adjustments. You're weaving through, you're weaving by, you're weaving through things. And so keep your passion for him growing, keep your eye on your mission, and keep your relationships right. That's why I've tried to have his three blinders to keep on plowing. Otherwise, you get sidetracked, and next thing you know, you're not even in the game anymore. Because you think it isn't worth it. And then our focus is on him. And last of all, which strengtheneth me. Now that last part is the force of our confidence. That word dynamite. Uh, where is my strength? Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 12. And I think we will see the the picture of Paul that we have not seen before, where he he pours on more of his heart about what really uh, drives him. And in Second Corinthians chapter 12, we get to the summit of the letter that Paul is writing. And we'll look there in verse 6. We'll begin in verse 6 of of chapter 12. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Uh, Paul was saying, uh, God gave me a thorn in the flesh because Paul was a driven man. Paul was a driver. Uh, if Paul had gone straight into ministry after he got saved, he would have been not blown out of the water because his ego would have driven him so much until he came to a brokenness in his own life. But he said, God allowed Satan to give a thorn in my flesh. Why? What does he say there? But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for my strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore will I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What a powerful statement. Three words I want to highlight as we close. Number one, Paul highlights the grace of God that was so abundant with him. What did God say? Paul went three times, and I think it was more than just a prayer that he added to the meal prayer. I think he went aside for three concentrated times pleading with God, he being convinced that if this had been taken from him, he could be way more effective. God knowing all the time if he took it away, he would be less effective because he would be more flesh dependent. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that grace that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain. I worked more abundantly than all of you, yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What was Paul saying? I am what I am by the grace of God. And we see in, 
in the reference there in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. There are three things that are highlighted in this. He said, I thank our Lord Jesus Christ who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. So in this we see enabling grace. God did the enabling, and, and 1 Corinthians 15 would fit that concept. Then there was entrusting grace, counting me faithful. And then there was employing grace, putting me into the ministry. And so we see the grace of God at work who has enabled Paul, who then Paul says, God entrusted me by his grace that now has employed me, putting me into the ministry. But Paul is saying it is all by the grace of God. Had Paul not had the thorn in the flesh, the way he was such a self-driven man that God would not have gotten the glory And God would not have allowed Paul to work because the grace of God would have been absent with Paul as he was trying to operate in the flesh. And you say, you know, by the grace of God, we are what we are. We're saved by grace. We are being sanctified by grace. We are empowered by grace. And then second word is glory. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity. Because he said, I will boast in my weakness. And so what was Paul's point of boasting? His point of boasting was, is in infirmity. And then secondly, it was in his ignominy. And I think, I think the ignominy was harder for Paul to deal with than the infirmity. Look in verse 15, which to me is the most powerful ministry verse in the Bible. Paul says in verse 15, So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Paul says, I know. I will very gladly spend. I'll give you everything I have and be spent. I'll give you my very being, knowing the more I do this, the less I'm to be loved by you. And Paul says, I'll very gladly do that. That's that's not possible in the flesh. That's agape love. That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the life. But then he said, I glory in my infirmity because the infirmity made Paul dependent not independent. And then the last word is the goal. It's a hinna clause here. It's a purpose in order that the power of Christ may rest on me as we go back uh, to that passage. And so, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weakness, in verse 9, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So, in other words, here's that a purpose, this purpose clause, in order that Christ's power might be on me. When I am weak, then am I strong. I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What happened? Paul felt himself becoming weaker and weaker and weaker, sometimes under attacks. But Paul says, I'm very grateful for that because as I experience this, I can sense God's strength 
at, at work in me. And you find yourself weakening many times in this whole concept. And you find, no, my goal is that his power may rest on me. Let's say Philippians 4.13 together again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, when you look at the whole context of that, Paul was writing a letter of gratitude. He was saying, I have had a lot. I've had nothing. I can do all things through Christ because he becomes the focus. But you get tired sometimes. You know, sometimes we just flat get tired. Every wake up in the morning, you don't care nothing about nothing. And you have to have your heart warmed in the word again. I remember reading an illustration about Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick was the first woman to swim the English Channel. Many men had done it, but she was the first woman to do so. And then she wanted to be the first woman to swim from Catalina Island in California to the mainland. And so she trained. Some men had already done this. And in 1952, Florence Chadwick gets in the water, starts swimming, a boat that goes along with her is there. It's foggy, cold, in, a, in this bank of fog. She is swimming, goes for a few hours, and finally she tells the people in the boat, pull me out, I'm done, I can't go any further. I said, Florence, keep on going. You're not that far away. But there she was in that bank of fog. And finally, she said, no, I, I want to stop. Pull me out. They got her in the boat, and the boat advanced just a short ways, and through the fog, you could see land. Uh, next, by the illustration I read, the next morning, the press interviewed her and said, Florence, you were so close. Why did you stop? She said, if I could have seen land, I could have kept swimming. He said, but in that fog bank, I had no idea how much further it was. And, you know, ever get through life sometimes, if we could just see the ultimate end, see what God has for us. We could see that uh, that city whose builder and maker is God. But we're so limited by and the restraints of our senses that we drop our gaze and we say, enough is enough, pull me out. And... Uh, the encouragement that we have from Paul is keep keep going because the reward is great as we look to him and as we follow him. Our strength is made perfect. And the word teleo there, it brings us to a finish. But how? In our weakness. And so when you feel unable, that's when you say, God, you do the enabling, you do the empowering in the midst of all of this. Any comments or questions before pastor comes to to close? This is a basic, simple, Sunday school type lesson, but I thought this might be an encouragement. It encourages me to think on these things, and I thought it might be an encouragement to, to you as well. Any comments or questions? Thank you so much. I can tell you, yes, Well, it is God's word, and it is filled with his promises. So it's been very humbling for Charlene to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, I was introduced. 
I was introduced to Les's ministry several years ago at Detroit Seminary because he's come a number of times to an annual conference that they hold. He's spoken there. So it's only been a handful of times that I've heard him, but each time it's had an impact on me. I've heard Dr. McLaughlin, Dr. Mack that he referred to, uh, speak there as well. We've had Dr. Mack here several years ago when we were meeting in a rented facility. Both of them have had positive impact on my life. But I don't know what brought him to mind last April uh, as I was just sitting at my computer, but somehow uh, Les Olilla came to mind, and I wondered what he was doing these days. And I looked him up, and I found his website for Building Great Leaders. And on there, they have an itinerary listed for the places he's going. It's quite full. But he had this one week where he was going to be in Michigan, the first part of the week. And the weekend, this weekend, uh, was open. So I wrote to them. One thing led to another. And uh, here they are. And I'm just so glad that God worked that out for you guys to come. It's been good for me. And I was going to say that I know not everyone was able to get by and say thank you personally. So if you have appreciated Les and Charlene being with us, let's let them know again by a round of applause. All right. And uh, Les and I have talked about the possibility of having them back, Lord willing, next year. And as part of that, uh, to have Les meet uh, with the leaders in our church. He has got this ministry, Building Great Leaders. He has a real burden for developing servant leaders. And I benefited from having coffee with him just yesterday and hearing his wisdom. And I know our men would as well. So we'll look to do that if the Lord allows. And the last thing I want to say is, uh, Les, I want one of those pucks when you get it done. I want, I want to be one of the first guys that gets one of those pucks, all right? Uh, we have our marriage series that starts next week in this hour. I want to remind you of that, and I want to encourage you to, one, be here, uh, but also to invite someone using the invitations we have out in the Information Center. For those of you that won't be taking the marriage series, Dr. Combs will be starting in another part of the building, a series on how we got our Bible. May the Lord bless you this week as you serve him.